Good morning, everyone. Great joy to be with you here this morning. I know how much you love talking about politics in the church. Uh, I'm going to start with just a little story. Uh, a few weeks ago, before we left for World Youth Day, there was a bishop who will remain nameless, right, <clears throat> who said, World Youth Day is not about evangelization. Don't come to World Youth Day if you're going to evangelize. And all these bishops, Bishop Barron, Archbishop Aquila, uh, different Catholic speakers, pushed back and said, literally the whole point of World Youth Day is evangelization. We go there to, to spread the good news, to share the gospel. Everything about World Youth Day is for the sake of spreading the good news. And then he, you know, backpedaled and said, oh, well, what it really meant is uh, we're not called to proselytize people, right? Uh, which is probably true. Um, but regardless, right, I, I, we know how much we love politics in the church. The whole point of World Youth Day is to evangelize. This past week, we celebrated the 30th anniversary when St. John Paul II came here to Denver in 1993. You see, St. John Paul II, he started World Youth Day in the 80s as a way to draw youth together, and uh, no one thought it would take off. He didn't even know if it would take off. The first World Youth Day in the 80s drew 200,000 people together in Rome. And then when he said, I want to bring it to a new place, a new area, new continent, they were looking at a map, and he had never been to Denver, but he looked at a map and he goes, Denver, I want to go to Denver. <laughs> and all his consultants, all the other advisors, they looked at him and said, Your Holiness, you're crazy. No one in, in America is Catholic. It's not a Catholic country. You're not going to draw a crowd. Maybe you'll get 20,000 people. People came from all over the U.S. People came from all over the world to World Youth Day 1993 here in Denver. On August 15th, the closing mass, it was a Sunday, 1993. Pilgrims walked 13 miles from downtown Denver to Cherry Creek State Park to see a pope. 800,000 people, still to this day, it's the largest gathering in the history of Colorado. All because Pope John Paul II was here. When he was here, he looked out at the crowd and he said, Denver will be the place, the center of the new evangelization. Denver as the center for the new evangelization. And we experience the fruits of this today that it has become that true center. Many apostolates, Catholic apostolates, have started here in Denver. Probably the two biggest, the, Augusta, the Augustine Institute, as well as Focus, whose mission uh, spreads that good news to evangelize, not just here in Denver, but even around the world through mass media and whatnot. Today, brothers and sisters, I bring this up because our readings for today are all about evangelization. Our first reading from Isaiah, Isaiah is prophesying that this, this good news, that uh, this Messiah to come is not just for the Jews, it's also for foreigners, that the foreigners will join themselves to the Lord, that all will come, everyone who keeps the Sabbath, these I will bring to my holy mountain, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples, not just for certain peoples, but for everyone. God comes when he comes, yes, he comes for Israel first. It's his firstborn son. 
But the good news, brothers and sisters, is not just meant for here, it's meant for those outside the church as well. And we're called to bring the good news, to bring that gospel to all that we meet. St. Paul to the Romans today, I'm speaking to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I'm the apostle of the Gentiles. St. Paul wasn't just going to, to convert the Jews, he wanted to convert everyone. To say the Messiah, this Jesus Christ who came and died for you, he died for everyone. He died for those who feel very distant, those who aren't part of the house of Israel. He died for you. you know, our gospel today, I think, is, is, is worth wrestling with. Growing up, when I would go to Mass, I always felt like whenever I would hear a homily about a gospel that seemed challenging, seemed hard, uh, the priest would just ignore it, right? And today, I hope to wrestle this, wrestle with this with you, because it seems like Jesus calls this Canaanite woman a dog. What's going on here? What's happening? What about this Canaanite woman? Now, what's interesting, this gospel is connected with uh, Mark's gospel, Mark 7, where it's the Syrophoenician woman. And what's interesting about Mark's gospel is Mark includes one extra detail. Jesus goes into the region of Tyre and Sidon into a house. So if you think about it, if he's inside a house, he doesn't want people to come towards him. And the Canaanite woman, she comes to the door and has to knock and say, Jesus, I've heard about you. I've heard these rumors. I've heard miracle, uh, miracles that you've performed. And I want to know if they're true. My daughter is possessed by a demon. Can you heal her? Can you come to me? Can you come to us? Can you perform more miracles for us? I'm outside of the church. I'm a Canaanite. I'm a Gentile. And for a Jew, the Gentiles were unclean. If you come in contact with a Gentile, you had to first do the ritual washing before you could enter back into the temple. But what faith she has to not just persist, but even argue with Jesus. It's the only instance in the gospel where someone wins an argument with Jesus. Jesus first responds, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Jesus first has to come for the house of Israel, but that's first. It's only once the Jews accept the faith that then he can go out and evangelize, that we can go out and evangelize the non-faithful. This woman, help me. Lord, help me. Help my daughter. I'm sick. I'm suffering. My daughter is suffering. Can you do something? It is not fair to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Why is the word dog used here? What's interesting is the Canaanite woman uses dog in one sense. Jesus uses it in a different sense. A domesticated dog versus an undomesticated dog. Typically during this time, dogs were not domesticated. They were undomesticated, right? They were considered unclean as well. Dogs were very much like pigs. They just kind of ate the scraps that came to them. Things that were thrown out to them, they would just pick up and eat. Dogs were not clean animals. And this is exactly what, the, uh, what Jesus first means to the Canaanite woman. You're not a part of the domestic church. You're not a part of this house. You're outside of the church. You're undomesticated. And the only way that you're going to become domesticated is to accept the teachings of the church, to come back inside the house. But we're not ready for that yet. In the faith of this woman, she says, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. 
She wants to become domesticated. She wants to become inside the house, inside the church. But first, she must be made clean. What this is an allusion to, as I mentioned, is the church. Some people exist outside the church. But we are called to live in the church and bring people who are undomesticated inside the domestic church, inside the house. We're called to evangelize. We're called to bring the good news to these people. Maybe another point with this, second point. What does it mean to eat the crumbs that fall from the table, to eat the scraps? Two times in Matthew's Gospel, there's two different miraculous feedings. First, the feeding of the 5,000, and then right after this passage that we hear today, there's the feeding of the 4,000, right outside the region where they are, Tyre and Sidon. That's the Gentile region around the Sea of Galilee. Jesus goes to the Gentile region, takes the fish and the loaves, multiplies them, and feeds them to the 4,000. In both these accounts, what's left over? Twelve wicker baskets and seven wicker baskets. Those are crumbs. Those are fragments. You see, Jesus takes what is overabundant in the church and gives it to those who need it the most. God gives you so much, and it's supposed to overflow out to your neighbors, overflow out to those who aren't inside the church. So what's the point? The invitation for today, brothers and sisters, is to be inside the church. But as we're inside the church, we're called sometimes to step out and bring those who are outside the church to help them to maybe make a step towards the church. Being in the church is being different from the world. The Jews, they had certain kosher laws. They had laws that made them holy, that made them separate from the rest of the world. They're called to look different. We as Christians, we're called to look different from the rest of the world. We're called to live a Sabbath. We're also called to have silence in our lives. A lot of people in the world don't have silence. And as we look different, as we're separated, as we live in the house of the church, we're then called to go out to those people who are outside the church and say, come take one step towards the church. Come be in the house of God where there's peace, where there's joy, where there's forgiveness, where there's mercy, where God will encounter you. What's one thing you can do this week to help someone come closer to the church? 30 years ago, St. John Paul II gave the closing homily, and I want to close with this. Do not be afraid to go out on the streets and into public places. Like the first apostles who preached Christ and the good news of salvation in the squares of cities, towns, and villages. This is no time to be ashamed of the gospel. It is the time to preach it from the rooftops. Do not be afraid to break out of comfortable and routine modes of living in order to take up the challenge of making Christ known in the modern metropolis. It is you who must go out into the byroads and invite everyone you meet to the banquet 
which God has prepared for his people. The gospel must not be kept hidden because of fear or indifference. It was never meant to be hidden away in private. It has to be put on a stand so that people may see its light and give praise to our Heavenly Father. Do not be afraid to share the good news. What's one practical thing you can do this week to invite someone outside of the church to take a step closer to the house of the church?